You are listening to the podcast of the Gallery Church. Our desire is to display the goodness of God's grace and love to New York City. For more information about our church, please visit us on the web at gallerychurch.com. Feel free to go ahead and grab your Bibles or devices and follow along with our scripture this morning. I am reading from the English Standard Version. Today's scripture comes from John 5, 16 through 20. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, everyone. Um, My name is Jason, and I am the lead pastor of New Hope Church. It's such a pleasure to be here with you again. I've had the opportunity to to speak through Zoom to you before and in-person service, and my wife and I in the past have done some marriage workshops with Gallery Church, and we always consider it a blessing to us and a privilege to be able to, to connect with you and to be able to share God's word with you. Um, it's also an honor because I know I understand that you're beginning a new sermon series that's, that's heading into Easter. You've been looking at the work of the Spirit and how the Spirit reveals himself to you and how Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to us. But over the next three weeks, we're going to or you're going to, I'm not going to be with you every week, but you're going to look at how Jesus relied on the Spirit to do the work in ministry, how he relied on the Spirit in obedience and yielded to the Father, even unto death, and was raised from the dead. And so today we're going to look at the life and ministry of Jesus. And I know it's a very large topic, but we really want to home in on two specific things. Uh, But I'm going to start by asking you about what comes to mind when you think about being more like Jesus. In what ways do you want to be more like Jesus? Or when you think about growing to become like Christ, what comes to mind? Some of you may think, well, I want to love people the way that Jesus did. When I think about being like Jesus, I think about the way that I might love others. Or you might say, I want to serve the way that Jesus served. That's what comes to mind when I think about growing to be more like Jesus. Or I want to be obedient, perfectly obedient to the Father as Jesus was obedient to the Father Or I want to do miracles like Jesus did miracles, right? So there may be a number of things that come to mind when it comes to becoming more like Christ. You can read about Jesus's life and ministry and be inspired to grow in different ways. But today, as we look at his life in one passage in particular, I hope that we'll grow in two ways. That we'll grow in our childlike dependence and our childlike wonder. So childlike dependence and childlike wonder. So let's look at the first thing. 
to grow in childlike dependence. Let's read from John 5, 16 through 20. And um, in case it isn't on the screen, I hope you have it in front of you, but I'm just going to read our passage once again. John 5, 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to, to this very day, and I am working too. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. So just to give you some context, Jesus has just healed a man that was paralyzed for 38 years. And after that healing, the man came across religious leaders who asked him what happened. And they, he explained what had happened, that Jesus had healed him. And they decided to confront Jesus about this. And in his defense, Jesus said, my dad's at work and so am I. I can do nothing by myself, but I only do whatever I see my dad doing. Whatever he does, I do. He loves me and, and he shows me all that he does. And so it's worth pausing right now just to consider Jesus's defense to people who question him and his authority, or as it says here, who persecute him. What does it look like for you when people question you? What's your defense? What, what do you come up with? What do you cite whenever people question you? Jesus's defense here to religious authority, to people in positions of power in society is, I can do nothing on my own. And this confounds me. His defense is his dependence upon the father, that the son can do nothing by himself. It confounds me because this is the eternal word, Jesus Christ, the very imprint of God's nature, the fullness of the Godhead, while bodily saying, I can do nothing, and I must rely upon the Father. And I'm confounded because this is not the way we think of ourselves. We see ourselves as capable today. If we're questioned, we cite our talents, our expertise, our experience, our abilities, but not our neediness, not our dependence, not our poverty of spirit. If you face a challenge today, and you most likely will if you haven't already, you'll rely upon those gifts. You'll say, I can do this. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And you know what? People really like me. And that's probably all good and wonderful and fine. But what may be even greater, where we can grow today, would probably be to grow in the humility of Jesus to say, Lord, actually, my great defense today is that apart from you, I can do nothing on my own. You see, we cheer for people who transcend their limits, who set new standards for what is possible. We, we cheer for it. We applaud it. We're drawn to it. At the same time, we also grieve people who don't accept their limits. You probably can resonate with both cheering for people who transcend their limits and grieving when you know people in your life, or maybe that's you, where you don't accept your limits. Do you remember when David Blaine decided to go to Times Square and lock himself into an icebox right in the middle of Times Square? I don't know if you remember that, but 
at, at one he ended up staying in there for over 63 hours 63 hours in an icebox in the middle of Times Square and at one point he said that he thought he had died they eventually took him out because they feared that he had gone into shock he was taken to the hospital it took him about a month to recover and at the end of it he said that he had no plans to ever do anything like that ever again at some level you cheer because you're like wow 63 hours in an icebox in times square that's that's impressive right i mean i can't even take a cold shower for three minutes or like three seconds right like i mean to be in an icebox for 63 hours that's incredible but on another level when you when you hear him say i'll never do it again you're like yeah bro i could have told you that this wasn't going to be a good idea it's impressive to be able to transcend your limits but there's also something impressive about humbly accepting your limits and we're in such denial about our limits, friends. Like we like to think of ourselves as independent people. From the time of our childhood, as we begin to mature, we've, we've really assessed our maturity but on the basis of our independence from our parents. The more independent we became, the more we considered ourselves to be mature. But that's not the way we ought to think about maturity when it comes to Christian maturity. Because the reality is none of us are truly independent. Most of us are completely unaware of all the people that we rely upon, especially God, throughout our lives. And I just want you to think about the last few hours. You might have been completely unaware of all the people you relied upon for the freedom that you enjoy. For example, most of us rose from our beds because of technology that somebody else had created for us, not to mention Con Edison, and their employees that kept our phones charged throughout the night and even makes this call possible. Like I couldn't do this right now without Tyler, right? I'm depending upon Tyler. I'm depending upon Zoom and technology companies to be able to speak to you and communicate to you right now. You relied upon coffee roasters, farmers, and merchants to provide you the energy and sustenance you have today. If you're gonna go out today and you did, or you were out yesterday or you plan to go out later today, you won't be able to even make the decision on what to wear without relying upon others. Unless you have a Doppler radar at home, you're likely going to check your weather app and rely upon meteorologists that feed information to the app so you can check the weather and therefore determine what it is that you wanna wear. And that's just a span of few hours, right? Or less. I could go on and on, but I think you get the point. None of us are truly independent. The human experience is one of interdependence and that we are largely unaware of this interdependence. We're unaware of our neediness. Our independence from one another and from God is an illusion, friends. God is the only independent being in the universe. He's the only one who truly experiences independence in, its actual, in the actual sense of the word. He's the only independent, non-contingent, self-sufficient being there is. And here, in joyful submission, Jesus shows us what it means to be human again, to accept our humanity, to depend, to rely, to break free from the illusion of dependence and say with him, with joy, I can do nothing of my own. Now you might say, all right, Jason, I get that. I get that I rely upon others and maybe I'm unaware of it. But what do you mean Jesus teaches me to be human and accept my humanity. What do you mean by that? Um, well, in Zach Eswine's book, Sensing Jesus, he talks about the communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. The communicable attributes of God are the attributes that we share with God. 
rationality, the capacity for love and justice, the capacity for relationships, the incommunicable communicable attributes of God are the attributes that describe God alone, infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, and so on. S1 says that we were made in the image of God, and therefore, we already reflected him. We were already like him in our capacity for love, relationships, rationality, and so on. But we experience anxiety and destruction when we long to be like God in ways that were never intended for us. All-powerful, ever-present, and all-knowing. When they saw the fruit and saw that it would make them like God, to know as God knows, to rival God, they took and they were grasping for divinity. And we've been doing it ever since. We want to rival God in these ways. And in fact, I would argue that most of our anxiety and grief is, is, most of our anxiety is really grief over the fact that we are not him. We're not as all-knowing or all-powerful or as transcendent as we wish. So think about it right now. Think about some limit you're facing. You're experiencing some kind of limitation. It's grieving, causing you to worry and it gives you anxiety and it's a burden on your heart. Could it be that that anxiety is really your way of mourning, of grieving that you're limited, that you're not him? Or to put it positively, are you grieving the fact that you're human? Some of you may be experiencing anxiety because you're not all-knowing. You're about to make a major decision and you just say, oh, I wish I just knew all the variables of this decision. I wish I, I would know how it would affect me and other people in my life. Is it a good decision? Is it a bad decision? I wish I could fast forward into the future and know what's going to happen. Will I get this job? How will this work out? Should I pursue this relationship? Should I end this relationship? Should I get a new apartment? Will my roommate be a monster? How long am I supposed to be in New York City? And I always tell our church, the answer to that is forever. You're for always supposed to be in New York City. You're anxious because you're not all-knowing. Some of you experience anxiety because you're not all-powerful. You cannot bend people and circumstances to your will like God can. You wish you can make th things the way that you want. You wish you can make it right by an act of your will or an act of your power and determination. But you can't. You cannot change people. You don't control their hearts. You don't have access to their hearts any more than you can change your own heart or have access to your heart. And if it was up to you, if you had control, people wouldn't be the way that they are and circumstances wouldn't be the way that they are. If only you were in control. You're anxious because you're not all powerful. Some of you experience anxiety because you're not everywhere like God is. If you're separa separated from a loved one or children or have parents who are struggling, you wish you could be there right there, right with them right now. You wish you could watch over them. You wish you could care for them. You wish you could be present with them, but you're not. Or there are so many places in different parts of the world where you want to be and you can't be everywhere you desire to be and you wish you could transcend time and space and be there, but you can't because you're local, you're spatial, you're at one place at one time and you're anxious because you cannot be like God. You see, the problem is that we have despised our humanity like Adam and Eve. We've longed for divinity in ways that were never intended for us. We would rather rival God in these things that I've just described than actually depend upon him in humility for those very things. To say, God, I'm not all-knowing. I don't even know what's going to happen five minutes from now, let alone five years and five months from now. But that's okay. You are all-knowing and I can depend upon you for these things. 
God, I'm not all powerful. I cannot bend people and circumstances to my will. I cannot change other people any more than I could change myself. You've shown me my limits over changing others and myself just this morning as we try to get ready for the Sunday service. I'm not in control. I'm not all powerful, but you are, and I can depend upon you for these things. Or you might say, God, I'm not everywhere. I can't be everywhere where people want me to be. I'm limited to my time and place, but you are everywhere in all those places where I'm not, and I can depend upon you there. You see, with Jesus, we're confronted with someone who, though he was equal in dignity and worth with God, did not count that as something to be grasped, but humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. With Jesus, we're confronted with someone who is a very imprint of God's nature, the fullness of God, the Godhead bodily, relying upon the Father, not lamenting or grieving or mourning his dependence upon the Father, but seeing it as the powerful response to those who question his authority. That's his response to the challenge. In his book, A Praying Life, Paul Miller observed that Jesus is the most dependent person who ever lived. And when I first read this, this was paradigm shifting for me. I'm going to read the quote here, and I don't know if uh, we're going to have it on the screen. Oh, yep, it's there. All right. Whenever Jesus starts talking about his relationship with, the, with his heavenly father, Jesus becomes childlike, very dependent. The son can do nothing of his own accord, John 5, 19. I can do nothing on my own. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own authority, but speak as the Father taught me. John 8.28, the Father who sent me has himself given me what to say and what to speak. John 12.49, only a child will say, I only do what I see my Father doing. This was paradigm shifting for me because it helped me see that to grow and become like Jesus meant that I had to grow in childlike dependence. I mean, only a child talks the way that Jesus talks. I only, I only do what I see my dad doing. I only say whatever my dad says. I look at my dad and I see what my dad is doing. And I do those very things as well. Jesus is so childlike when he talks about his father. And I never thought about Christian maturity that way. I never thought that if I was going to grow to be like Jesus, the older I get, the more childlike I would become. It meant that I would have a greater sense of my neediness for God as I become more mature, that I would grow in my awareness of my need and, uh, and my need to depend upon him for everything in life, to rely on his spirit even more and less upon myself. If what Paul Miller says here is true, then I hope it redefines what Christian maturity looks like for you. Christian maturity is growing up into the childlike dependence of Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Christian maturity is growing up into the childlike dependence of Jesus. To grow in Christ-likeness is to grow in childlikeness before God. So before we move on to the next point, I just want to pause and ask, in what way is the Holy Spirit calling you to stop grieving your limits? In what way is the Holy Spirit calling you to stop denying your limitations, to be free from the illusion of independence? How is he calling you to rejoice in the fact that God is limitless and all-sufficient on your behalf? How is he calling you right now to depend upon him even more and therefore grow 
to be more and more like Jesus. So that's the first thing. As we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, we want to grow in childlike dependence. And now the second thing. We want to grow in childlike wonder of Jesus. So you and I have the capacity for wonder. But the problem is, as we get older, it takes more and more to impress us. That's why I try to savor my children's experience of the world. For a three-year-old, everything is new. She lives in a world of wonder. I remember the first time I FaceTimed my mom, right? Called my mom, FaceTimed my mom, and mirrored our phone to the screen using our Apple TV. And I showed it to our daughter at the time. And she looked at our phone and looked at our screen and she saw my mom on the phone and she saw my mom on the screen and she was a little dazed and confused, but also in wonder. And her response to that is totally appropriate. You know whose response was not appropriate, was inappropriate? Mine. Because how am I not amazed by this technology anymore? We saw my mom, who is hundreds of miles away, and then projected her, her face onto our television using a process called mirroring. Like when Apple came out with Face ID, I was like, that's it, Apple. That's all you got. I can unlock my phone with my face. That's it. That's, that's, that's what's going to get me to buy your phone now. Because the lines of wonder are drawn in different places for me and my daughter. I mean, possibilities of wonder exist everywhere for, for us. But for me, I've lost the capacity for wonder because the, the lines are constantly being redrawn. That's why the things that I think are going to give me happiness and meaning in life end up losing its shelf life. Like it just loses its, its capacity for wonder after some time. But here is the great news. Jesus has made us for wonder. In fact, that's what he says next in this passage. After he mentions that he depends upon the Father and does the works of the Father, he lets us know the aim of these works. I'm going to read verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. And yes, he will show him even greater works than these. Now get this. So that you will be amazed. The bullseye is your wonder. He does what he does because he, in order to amaze you, not like a magician who's got cheap tricks that he wants to impress you with. No, he wants to reveal his glory because he knows that that's what ultimately will satisfy you. And he has made you for wonder. He's got your joy in mind. So Jesus says these things to people who confront him about the miracle. And in his defense, he not only cites how he does this ministry, childlike dependence, but he also cites why he does the ministry for the glory of God and our wonder so that we will be amazed and that we would leave, live in wonder of him. Now, this is liberating to know that God has designed us to experience wonder, to be enamored to be enthralled, that we were made for the joy of beholding beauty and glory that captivates us. It's the purpose of all the pleasures that we enjoy. If you enjoy to breakfast, if you enjoyed a, a, a you know, good coffee this morning, like all those pleasures are supposed to give you joy and it's supposed to lead you to give thanks to God. But our fallenness leads us to forget this. 
So here are the a few ways that people try to explain the purpose of pleasure and what it accomplishes. Some of people would say, well, the purpose of pleasure is just a good time. It gets you what it gets you through life. If you're more cynical, it's what numbs you from the pain. Or others would say, pleasures don't accomplish anything good. You need to avoid all pleasures. You need to take a form of asceticism or a monasticism. You need to remove all yourself from all the pleasures and pleasures of this life. If you're strictly Darwinian, a strictly strictly uh, a Darwinian evolutionist, you might say pleasure has a survival purpose. For example, people who enjoy food and have sex are likelier to survive and procreate than those who do not. That's an oversimplification, but I think you get my point. But Christians would say, it, you know, it's that we, we aren't to just indulge every pleasure and we're not supposed to remove ourselves from every pleasure. Not All pleasures are not bad. And we wouldn't even say that pleasures only exist for our survival. Christians believe that the purpose of pleasure whether we're talking about food or sex or watching a sunrise or a sunset, the purpose of pleasure is worship. Or as Andrew Wilson says in his book, Spirit and Sacrament, that we, like a, a ray of sunlight, we ought to be able to trace it back to its source and give thanks to God. To see that, that whatever you experience, to be able to trace it back to its source, to God and to give thanks to him. All the pleasures that we have are from God in a world full of beauty and delight and, and meaning. We have these pleasures and we're supposed to worship him because of it. But the problem is we don't enjoy them as he's intended. So food is to be enjoyed, but we become gluttonous. Our work is good and we're supposed to enjoy the fruit of our labor in our hands, but we become workaholics and find our identity in it. Our sins are really pleasures gone wrong. We enjoy things outside of its intended design. We enjoy it without giving thanks. We enjoy it without acknowledging God. We enjoy it in a way that's destructive to us and others. Listen to the words of the late American author, David Foster Wallace, who isn't a Christian and committed suicide. And that's how he died. But this is what he spoke while he was alive to his students at Kenyon College about the pleasures we worship. He said, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. When time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. In other words, Wallace, who didn't believe in God, acknowledges that our default setting is to be amazed. It's to be in wonder, it's to be captivated and be wrapped, be so drawn by something that we would reorient our lives around it. That's what worship is, to value something so much, to see its worth, that we would reorient our lives around that because of the value and wonder that we can receive from it. And all the things that he mentioned over promises and under delivers, as he mentioned, it does not satisfy and ends up destroying us. But Christians claim to know who will. Jesus, who works so that we would see his glory and we would be amazed, friends, whose love is bottomless 
whose grace today for you is boundless, whose goodness is unrivaled, whose wisdom for you is unsurpassed, who's slow to anger, abounding in mercy and compassion. He's faithful to the end. We will spend all of eternity mining the depths of who he is, and we will never cease to be in wonder of him. So what do you do today? If you look within your own heart and the wonder is gone and your childlike de dependence is gone, that as you've gotten older, you've become more independent in your own eyes and therefore more anxious and you've ceased to be as impressed with things and less satisfied in life. What do we do then? Well, we can admit it. We can come as we are. We can accept our limits here too. We can learn to depend like children here too, that we cannot manufacture what is lacking within us. Instead, we can go to God and we can look to him. We can run to him for these very things. We can say, Lord, I don't depend on you. And I live under the illusion of independence. That's my abiding reality. And I want to be broken free from it. I want you to give me the gift of poverty of spirit to be broken free of that illusion so you can show me my neediness for you, how much I depend upon you for my daily life, to get up in the mornings, for my relationships, for my marriage, for taking care of my kids, for making sure that they could eat breakfast in, in, in a way that without fighting in, in every area of my life, Lord, I depend upon you that you would free me of this. Open my eyes to see my need for you. I cannot manufacture what is lacking right now in my life. Or maybe this, Lord, it's been so long and the wonder is gone. I remember when I was so passionate for you. I was so wrapped in who you are and your love. I would bask and rest in your love for me. And it was all that I needed. I didn't need the approval of people. I rested in your approval for me, but the wonder is gone. And I want to be amazed again. I want to live in childlike wonder of you, Jesus. Will you restore the wonder? We lead me to worship you above all in my life. And friends, I hope that if you could do that, there would be something familiar about that. Because that's how we came to Christ. All of us who profess to be Christian today only became Christians, only became children of God, because at some point we came to God in our brokenness, in our weakness in our total inability, and we admitted our complete and total dependence upon him. Our sins were too great. Our good deeds and righteousness and our efforts were not enough. We were dead in our sins, but God met us with grace and power. And we were too weak to save ourselves. God was strong enough. He showed the riches of his mercy when we were spiritually poor. He showed grace that is sufficient when our good deeds and on our best day was in, insufficient. He showed power to save sinners like us when we admitted our weakness before him. You see, the gospel today is only good news for those who admit they are weak. It's not good news for those of you who think you're strong. So if the childlike dependence and wonder is gone, we can turn once again to God and remember the gospel we have received and meditate on it and cling to it and let that be your hope so that we who once despised our limits would be in wonder of a king who though he was equal in dignity and worth with God did not count that as something to be grasped, 
but humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And find this obedience, this dependence, this humility, this love to be beautiful. To see Jesus and grow in dependence like him and in wonder of him. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are under no illusion about our weaknesses and our brokenness today. We may be unaware of all the crevices of our hearts, Lord, that are desperate for you. And other people in our lives may be unaware of how much we are struggling right now, God, with hidden and secret sins, desires, intentions, and motivations that we would never publicly confess. Struggles in our marriage, in our parenting, in our singleness, at work, or even in the church. But Father, you know it all. Lord, we admit, God, that we are not able to manufacture what is lacking today. So we come to you, Lord, as we are, not trusting in our righteousness, not trusting in our eloquence, not trusting in our good works, or thinking that we would be heard for our many words, but we trust in your goodness, that no matter how great our desire is today for you, Lord, your desire for us is even greater, Lord. No matter how great our desire, Lord, for healthy marriages or healthy children, or Lord God, how great our desire is for an abiding joy in you, your desire for these things, for our flourishing, is even greater. So we agree with your heart, and we pray, have your way, O oh Lord, in each of us, God. Help us to be more like Jesus in our dependence upon you and stop grieving it. And Lord, we pray that you would restore the wonder and our childlike wonder for you, God. In Christ's name, we pray all these things. Amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you are encouraged in your walk with God through this podcast. For more information about this church, please visit our website at gallerychurch.com.